Well, this morning we get to finish our study in the book of First John, and I've been so privileged to uh, lead our church through this study, Pastor Dennis and I, being able to take God's Word as delivered to us and to share that message with you, and I, and I know that God has worked through you to share that message to our community. I'm so thankful for the certainty God has given to us, the assurances of His, his promises, His presence, and, and His power as we seek to love Him and, and love others. And, and I've learned so much myself. I've been challenged. I know that you have as well. And I'm, I really think it's fitting how we finish today looking at the main point of how God wants His children to be confident towards Him. In him. That's the whole point of it all. And so what I'd like to do is to read the passage for us, these final verses closing out the letter, and to unpack what that looks like for God's children to have confidence in him. So here we go, picking up at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And there we have the end of an incredible letter from the apostle John, Jesus' closest friend, uh, one of his uh, inner three disciples in his small group who learned from him and and share him with us. And he shares there are four ways that God's children can be confident in him and should be confident. First of all, we see in verses 13 to 15 that we can be confident we have eternal life. He says, I write these things to you, you believers who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13 is one of the most Uh, widely quoted verses from the New Testament. It's one we go to often when we're sharing the gospel with unbelievers. This is an assurance, but one that only the children of God have. And as I heard many times over as I was growing up from evangelists and pastor after pastor, and they preached, do you know that you know that you are saved? The whole point of this book is is assurance. Everyone's looking to live forever, whether they admit it overtly or not. One example can be found in our own state's borders, the Fountain of Youth, that famous fabled fountain, and you can find it in St. Augustine, Florida. 
They've got a great setup there for tourists. If you've never been, my wife and I have actually sipped of those waters. And I'm sad to say, I, I'm still finding myself aging and, and getting gray hairs. So, unfortunately, the fountain of youth is not a reliable source for eternal life. So, where does that source come from? Well, John says, here's a reliable guide. Here's how you know you're striving towards the right source. It's the Word of God. The Word of God is our reliable guide. It's without error. It doesn't depend on, on opinions that can be flawed. John says, I'm a witness. This is my testimony. I'm, I'm passing on what I saw directly from Jesus, what I heard directly from Jesus. This testimony is reliable and it's confirmed by the witness of the Holy Spirit. And this witness tells us that there is a problem. This is why the Savior came. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, there is eternal life in God. He is the eternal one. He is the living one. He is love. He is gracious. He is truth. He is justice. He's all those things. But he is also eternal. So he is the source of eternal life. And he tells us that because of sin, man has chosen to go his own way. He is flawed in his nature, in his thinking, in his actions. He rebelled against God. And to rebel against the source of eternal life is to choose eternal death. That is the cost of sin. Sin leads to death. And there is a death that's worse than being buried six feet under. It's the second death. It's eternal damnation in the lake of fire as judgment for rejection of God and his gift through Jesus Christ. But there's good news. There is eternal life offered freely through Jesus Christ that can be received by faith. And, and what is faith? Romans 10, 17 tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that God the Son came down, took on human form, lived a perfect, sinless life. He didn't have a flawed nature like you and I. And then he willingly shed his blood on the cross to save us. This is the good news. 2 Timothy 3.15 tells us that the scriptures make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So I'm not just preaching through a book of the Bible here because there's some nuggets of wisdom we can take or this is a good self-help book. This is how we know we can have eternal life. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the power of God to save. And we want every person at Living Hope Church this morning to know that you are saved. You can be confident in Jesus. Faith is trusting Him, taking Him at His word. And as I, as I look around, I see you have the Word of God in your lap, or you have it on your phone, or it's easily accessible online. If you only open your Bible, you will see, you will hear the truth. And if you think the only time you need to hear from God is for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, I've got news for you. You are missing out. You can have confidence grounded in His Word all week long. You can have sweetness of fellowship with God. You can sense his presence and hear directly from him. You don't have to guess. You don't have to come to your pastor and say, Pastor, what is God's will for my life? I will point you to the reliable guide 
This is how we know we have eternal life, and this is also how you can know how you ought to live today. You don't have to guess. You don't have to live in fear. I'm so thankful our ladies just finished a Bible study on the attributes of God. They went deep into knowing who God is, and, and, and He's changed you, ladies. And, and I've seen beautiful fruit coming from that. And men, we're just now finishing a study on biblical manhood. What does it look like to be a man of God? We don't have to guess. We're given the blueprint. Church, our mission is to fully devote ourselves to Jesus and make followers of Him. Every member is on mission, and every member has been given the same Word of God and the same Spirit of God to carry out that mission. You can know this. What a gift. We have a reliable guide, the Word of God, and all of Scripture points to Jesus. So it's not just about a book. The book is the window through which we can see the glory of God. I heard that from John Piper once, and, and it's never left me. The, the Bible is a window into the heart of God, to knowing God, to seeing His plan fulfilled, the glory of the gospel. And Ephesians 2.8 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. Grace, God's revealed gift and plan to us. And faith is, I see it, I hear it, I don't fully understand it. And God, how can you love me so much? And Jesus, how could you give up your life for a sinner like me? But, but I believe it. I believe in your name. To believe in the name of Jesus is the same as to believe in the person of Jesus. That's what commentator Colin Cruz said. And what John has already told us in 1 John 3, 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. Now, if, if our faith is just in ourselves or in our good works, we do not have eternal life. Jesus is the only name, the only person who can save. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And if you really believe that, are you spending time daily in God's word with him? And do you understand what you're reading? Are you seeking to grow in understanding your Savior? This isn't just a prayer you prayed when you were young or years ago. Today, do you respond in repentance and faith and belief in Jesus? This is why we believe it's so important to grow in a small group community. And our small groups meet on Wednesday nights. This is where we help each other understand what was preached on Sunday morning. How do we live it out? How should this change our lives? We pray that scripture and then we seek to launch out and, and live it out in our evangelism and our outreach and, and our mission in the community. But community is that, is that uh, important accountability between what is preached on Sunday and what is lived out throughout the week. We need that accountability. We need that community. Are we seeing the Word of God cause us to fall more in love with Jesus and with others? Growing in a group will help us do that. And if you're not a part of our small group on Wednesday nights, I want to encourage you to do that. Or we'll start another group that meets on another night in September, if that's what it takes to help you grow in that community. Here's a second confidence we have in Him. We're confident He answers prayer. Verses 16 to 17 tell us, this is the confidence we have towards Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's back in verse 14. Lacey and I just saw 
an Instagram reel the other day of, of this little girl running up to Minnie Mouse. And she's so excited to see. This is her childhood hero. And many of us can identify who have kids. This is a really big deal. And if you have that opportunity at Magic Kingdom, you want to be all about that, right? This girl runs up to Minnie. And Minnie sees the girl and turns around and turns her back on her and even flips up her head, clearly revealing that she's not Minnie Mouse. She's a person under the costume. And the girl just stops in her tracks. She's devastated, heartbroken. Her confidence that her hero, Minnie Mouse, is excited to see her was completely shaken. Oh, my heart goes out to that little girl. I have one of my own. We have a different relationship with God than that. We are God's children. He is our Father. And our faith is never disappointed in Him. We can have confidence in prayer because Jesus advocates for us in His presence and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us interceding for us. Even when we don't have the words to say, He intercedes with groaning too deep for words. But we ask God, He hears us. That hearing is more than just a passive listening. So this isn't like, uh, I don't know if this bothers you guys, it, it kind of bothers me when I'm placing an order or talking to someone at customer service at a store or, uh, or, uh, or a place in the, in the community and they've got AirPods in. Now they might have the volume turned down, but even as they're talking to me, my thinking is you're only half listening to me. You're listening to something else in addition to me. You're not giving me your full attention. That bothers me a bit. God isn't like that. He doesn't have AirPods in. And, and he isn't just uh, bothered every time we interrupt him with prayer. That, that word here, it, it implies action. We're confident. He hears us and he is moved to help us. In fact, we know that we have the request we ask of him. Verse 15. Talk about confidence. If, if, if you knew that God cared and was going to answer a prayer that you were going to pray, what would you pray for? John says we are confident. We pray boldly. He, he echoes what we are told by Jesus, that we have not because we ask not. God will answer our prayers. He is answering our prayers. He has answered our prayers. Does that mean he will answer every single little thing we want? No. There is a caveat. We're told if we ask anything according to his will. And that's why it's so important that we treasure and we value and we dig into the word of God. Because God shares what his will is. It's not mysterious. It's not clouded. We don't have to guess. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's his plan from eternity past to eternity future. God reclaiming sinners, bringing them into his family from every uh, tongue, tribe, and nation for his glory. He's building a church. He's building a family that will last forever. This is the will of God. We pray according to his will. And the more we spend time in his word, then the more we want to pray according to his will. It's not my will. Lord, yours be done. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden. You know, Jesus prayed, God, if there's a way you can take this cup of suffering from me, please do it. Heaven was silent. God did not answer that prayer. 
Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will be done. Not my will be done, but yours be done. Now that prayer was answered. And God carried out his plan to save the lost. So what is prayer? R.A. Torrey says, prayer is how we unlock the storehouses of his power and grace. Prayer is the key. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that. But I do understand this. God answers prayer. And so here's an example of what an answered prayer could look like. John tells us in verse 16, If you see a brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Now John has used this term brother several times throughout the letter, so we understand in the context that brother is referring to a brother or sister in, in Christ. This is not one of those false teachers or heretics believing in a different made-up human Jesus absent of his divinity. This is a brother, and he's committing a sin, and he's caught in sin, and, and it's visible, and you've seen it. And because you care, and you want to see God's will done in their lives, we pray for them. We ask God, please set them free from the sin, help them. Restore them, turn them again from that, that lifestyle and, and even talk to that brother or sister and, and confrontation and speaking the truth and love is an important part of seeing that fulfilled and God will give life. He's talking about the fruit that comes from the Spirit. A true believer will eventually, at some point, <laughs> repent will be renewed in his or her walk with Jesus, and God will bring life, will bring fruit again. There is no life that comes from works of darkness. We're living like the old dead us, and, and there's no life there. So we pray, God answers, and God gives life. Prayer heals. Prayer rescues people from sin. Prayer brings families together. Prayer unites the church. Prayer sets the prisoner free. So what is this whole business about? Does not lead to death. Okay, this is similar to John 11 verse 4, where Jesus says about Lazarus, this, 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 this death of Lazarus does not lead to death, which makes no sense because Lazarus died. <laughs> so Jesus is talking about eternal death. This does not lead, the final outcome is not going to be death for the believer. It is life. It is eternal life. So there are sins that lead to eternal death. What would that be? In the context of John's letter, it's clearly those who deny that Jesus is the Son of God, God in human flesh, who takes away the sins of the world. Just like the Pharisees. And, and Jesus said that those who commit an unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Because the Pharisees see Jesus. They see the Son of God. They see the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And they hear the truth from his lips. And it's evident who he is. And they say, no, he's not God in the flesh. He's not the Son of God. He's a pretender, and we refuse to follow him. In fact, they ended up making sure they killed him. 
and they never repented. That is sin that leads to eternal death. So John says, don't bother praying for those who believe in a heresy. Don't say, God, would you please bless so-and-so? Or God, they might believe differently than we do on Jesus, but I just pray you'll give them a fruitful life and, and make sure they get into heaven. Don't pray for that. Because life does not come apart from the Son of God. Blessing comes from depending on Jesus and Jesus alone, not Jesus and works. So, if you see a brother committing a sin not leading to death, ask and God will give him life. Verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. I am not perfect, and I sin probably every single day of my life, even since I came to Jesus. I've got a long way to grow to become like Jesus. But the life of a believer is characterized by repentance. And when we pray, we are relying on God and on His working and on, on His Spirit to turn heads and hearts back to Him. So if you think about it, how important is it to be a part of a healthy local church where people know you, they know your struggles, they know your needs, and they're praying for you? Satan would love nothing more than to get you isolated by yourself. He would love that. To make you feel alone and not be growing in a healthy community and not have people pouring into you or praying for you or have any idea what you're going through. Authentic community is a safeguard for us. And this is how we fully realize the power of God as we pursue Christ above all. And we pursue in love one another. And we pursue the mission of God and see his power unleashed through a spirit-filled church. Prayer works. We're confident. Here's the third confidence. We're confident that God protects us. Look at verses 18 to 20. Right? He who is born of God protects him. We're protected. I see more and more commercials every day about cybersecurity. Some of you in this room work in these fields. Whether it's personal, business, cryptocurrency. Uh, I looked up what are some estimated figures of, of, in, of investments from Americans in cybersecurity. Did you know that in the private security sector alone, Americans spent $240 billion. Now the government sector, U.S. government, is estimated it paid $1.25 trillion in security. <laughs> Meanwhile, some of y'all are still probably stuffing some cash under your mattress. That's the old school way of, of safeguarding things. You're not you're not into cryptocurrency. You're in the mattress security. And I think that's important, right? We don't want a foreign government hacking our government codes and launching some of our nukes. We need security. So here is the ultimate security for a child of God. Everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning. Sin does not have a hold on us anymore. Eternal death does not have a hold on us anymore. But he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. So that word touch, it's like you can't, he, didn't, he doesn't even lay a finger on God's children. 
we talk about Satan does this and Satan tempts us here and Satan's trying to distract us here. But children, hear me this morning. Satan does not own you. He cannot touch you. He cannot hurt you. He may be a roaring lion and he may be prowling around, but God's got him on a short leash. I've heard that several times from different preachers. I tried to find the source of that idea or quote, but if, if I knew who I could give credit to, I would. But it's a wonderful thought. Satan can prowl and growl all he wants, but he's not laying a finger on us. You know why? Because Jesus protects his sheep. He's the good shepherd. And I can count on that and take it to the bank because Jesus invested every drop of his blood on the cross so that I could and would become God's child. And if I can trust him to save me, I can trust him to keep me. Miss Dina read Hebrews 13 verse 20 in our scripture reading today and talks about the blood of the eternal covenant. God's eternal covenant of love and his plan of redemption cannot be shaken or taken. And our confidence is not in ourselves, right? Our confidence is towards him. John Stott said in his commentary, Letters of John, we do not keep ourselves. He keeps us. We praise God for that. But our hearts go out to those who are lost in the world because the world holds sway over unbelievers. That is clear. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. They belong to him. And, and, and we also were slaves to sin until Christ met us and we put our faith in him. So we pray for the world. The world is clueless. The world is ensnared in traps. They're darkened in their hearts and their thinking. They cannot save themselves and they can't find confidence in this life. They're looking for everywhere else to provide their identity and their comfort and their peace. But for the believer, Colossians 2.15 tells us, At the cross, God disarmed the rulers of darkness and put them to shame disarmed, took away the weapons and, and the ammunition. The cross is salvation and it's protection from the attacks of the evil one. Because you might be thinking this morning, as I did, now, Pastor Josh, how come we still suffer? If God's protecting us, why do we suffer? We lose loved ones. We are cursed by the world. We don't fit in here. We might suffer financial loss or or the ruin of a house in a storm, or we face marginalization at our workplace or in, or in the political sector. What is God doing? Why does it hurt so much if we are protected? He is working through suffering for his glory and our good. Romans 8.28, this is a verse we should know well. But for those that love God, God works all things together for good. So Jesus, on the cross, shows us how God works through suffering. There's no greater example. Because he's dying on the cross. He's, he's 
He's rejected by the Father. The Father has turned his face away and is pouring his wrath out on his one and only perfect Son to atone for our sins. And Jesus yells, It is finished. It's over. And Satan is so giddy with excitement. I did it. I killed the Son of God. We got him out of here. He's mine. Because no one has ever escaped the grave before. It's my most powerful weapon. And then three days later. Uh oh. This isn't looking good for Satan. He's always been able to depend on the grave. And that power was stripped away from him. Because Jesus stepped out. Jesus was raised to life. He is Lord over the grave now. Not Satan. By Satan. And the stone was rolled away. Not to let Jesus out. But so we could look in and see. He is risen. Isn't it just like God to defeat the enemy with his own devices? What he thought would give him confidence, God claims as a part of his glorious plan, and we find confidence in it as his children. Man, every day God's taking strongholds of, of darkness, and, and he is uh, working through pain and hurt and turning it for good. And we just stand back and say, Oh, my God, how amazing you are. Satan probably has some choice words that are not along those lines. I'm not going to bother saying them here because <laughs> that doesn't matter. But if you're here today struggling, struggling with fear, sin, or doubts of eternal security, or maybe you're burdened for someone else who is in sin, I want to encourage you, come forward and let us lay hands on you and pray for you. We have a powerful God. He will answer prayers. And we are confident He protects us. Here's our final confidence we see. And I'll conclude. We can be confident we have found real love. Real love. Verse 21. Short, simple verse, but so profound. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Again, John's writing with endearment. He's not yelling. He's talking to us as we are. As God views us. His little children. And he wants us to keep away from the things that would harm us, not help us. Idols, uh, we, we, our mind could go to all different kinds of places. Uh, it could be referring to idols made out of wood or gold or silver, or uh, it could be a, a piece of technology or a relationship. What, what, is, what is John referring to here, though? He uses a definite article in the Greek, an article before the term idol. and So he could be saying the idols or your idols. What, what does that mean? It means worshiping a Savior that's not Jesus, the Son of God. Putting our hope and faith in someone who's not Jesus as he's revealed to be. It's the whole reason he's writing this letter. He says, don't be led astray by these heretics that say, Jesus is not God in the flesh. So we claim to love Jesus, but we also need to do good works. We also need to work towards heaven. John says, no, no, no. We have found what our hearts were longing for. Real love. A real relationship. 
There's nothing to add to it. So stop wandering and letting earthly things crowd out all the love in your heart for Jesus. Don't let it do that. We are so in love with Jesus that we don't have time to wander after anything else. And our world loves the idea of Jesus. But I think what we find in the world is that people are constantly trying to make Jesus in their own image. It's what these false teachers were doing. And I don't know if you've heard this today, but I have. Uh, people say, well, my Jesus wouldn't judge or my Jesus wouldn't say that, or the Jesus that I know would just let everybody into heaven. And the sad thing is, they really mean that. My Jesus would not do that. And regretfully, the Jesus that you have is not the Jesus who came. It's not the Jesus who died and rose again and gave us his word and living testimony. Your Jesus looks actually a whole lot more like you, and that is an idol. You're worshiping yourself. People who claim to be Christians are following a Jesus made in their own image. Children of God, we have our certainty. We know Jesus personally. We know he's the one keeping us, and he loves us and will never let us go. There may be times where we wander and our feet take us into different paths and, and the pull of the world is, is so compelling we, we stray, but God's love cannot be broken. God's children cannot send themselves out of his family. He will keep after us and he will woo our affections back because that's what real love is. It will never leave or forsake. And Jesus never does that to the children of God. So here's a warning for us. Keep yourselves from idols. And I think one of the biggest reasons, in addition to just loving and enjoying God forever, is that no fruit comes from when we wander after idols. Dead things can't produce life. And there's a dying generation around us of people headed to eternal death. So why would we want to live and eat and drink and be merry just like the dying, perishing world when we can live as citizens of heaven, headed towards eternal life. We know that's our path. So we should pursue and know our Savior and live out the gospel today and let the fruit of God come from our lives. Do you believe that God wants to use you to make a difference for eternity? And pursue Him with all you are. And as we plant Living Hope Church, we face a temptation, don't we? It's easy to love a hypothetical church. Or church we think we can make in our own image. Oh, I know, I'm excited about Living Hope, but we can have my style of worship. Oh, I think we should do this program because this works good. Or my other church, we did this, and I think that'll work great here. Church can become an idol. It can be a place where we mask our insecurities and insufficiencies with stuff or programs or or ministries that make us look good or feel better about ourselves. I think there's a reason God led us to study 1 John together. We can't know who we are until we know who God is. And if we love him deeply and we allow him to change us deeply, we'll love others sincerely. 
and we will trust God to build his church the way he wants to. We will start ministries by people who are called to step up and serve to meet the real needs of real people. Not those hypothetical ones. Real people. We'll see God at work as we live confidently before the world in our relationship to God. This is how the community changes. This is how the gospel goes throughout the world. Through confident believers living out their faith. We can be confident in our God through eternal life, in prayer, through his protection over us. We're confident in our real authentic love. 1 John shows us this is the way to have certainty in an uncertain world. And thank you, God, for the gift of 1 John. Let's treasure this book. Let's seek to live it out this week. Let's pray.